Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How the devil are you doing? Welcome to the third episode of Life in the Stocks. This week, three episodes in as many days. And every day on the show this week, I'm sharing a new podcast with a different stand-up comedian, all of whom are performing at this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So far, hopefully you've already heard and enjoyed conversations with Susie Ruffle and Rosie Jones. And my guest today for episode 119 of the podcast is Glaswegian stand-up Susie McCabe. We can bang on about patriarchy for another 200 years and we can smash the patriarchy. We need the men. We need guys like you who... I think the, the Me Too movement made you go, yeah, I'm all for equality. And then you seen the Me Too stuff and you came out and you went, oh, I didn't realise how the how bad that was. I, I'm all for equality. I'm all for feminism. I'm right with you, sisters. And I'm sorry. We can't just take a broad brush to you and go, but you're a man. You've had that. We, we, we need you guys. And in my opinion, you guys are the majority. And I take that on. And then I basically say that women need to stop, har- stop self-harming. Women. So I think I may get a bit of grief in Edinburgh of a certain type of comedian or person, but I can only speak my own truth. Now, I had the great pleasure of seeing Susie perform live a couple of weeks before the podcast, which we recorded together, and she is, without a doubt, one of the funniest comics working in the country today. She is so, so good. I love her. You're going to love her too, so more on our conversation in a moment's time. First of all, a quick word from our sponsors here on the podcast. So, as always, Life in the Stocks is brought to you by Fireball, and today we decided on all the local opening acts for every city on this year's Fireball tour. The winners... Have been contacted and we'll be announcing who they are in the next few days so if you want to be the first to find out who it is then uh, go follow fireball right now on facebook twitter and instagram at fireball uk and that is the place where we'll be sharing all the photos and videos from the tour as well 
the bill currently stands as I think the best bill of 2019. Goldfinger, less than Jake, save Ferris, Fireball's hottest band, Thieves of Liberty, me DJing and hosting the tour for the fourth year in a row, and all of these local opening acts soon to be announced as well. And we are in the following cities from the 19th to the 28th of September. Sheffield, Leeds, Birmingham, Manchester, Newcastle, Glasgow, Bournemouth, and London. And tickets can be found by going to ticketmaster.co.uk. And I would suggest you move fast to avoid disappointment because tickets are flying out, my friends. And I'm fairly confident most, if not all, of these shows will sell out. So there we go. Life in the Stocks is also sponsored by Academy Events. And every day on the show this week, I've been telling you about tribute bands, which Academy Events have going out on tour throughout autumn and winter on monday's show i told you all about the smiths who are the uk's leading tribute to of course the smiths and yesterday i told you all about the anarctic monkeys who are an arctic monkeys tribute band today it is the turn of oasis and the uk's leading oasis tribute band my friends is called definitely might be you see what they did there because they definitely might be they're not but they could be because they're almost as good as the real thing and of course you can't go see oasis live so if you want to see the songs this is the next best thing and the following cities will be visited by definitely might be throughout october november and december of this year birmingham london leeds leicester liverpool newcastle oxford sheffield and manchester of course and tickets for those shows can also be found by going to www.ticketmaster.co.uk that is definitely might be live in the uk with academy events Okay, here we go. Episode 119 of Life in the Stocks. My guest, as I said, is Susie McCabe. Susie is a Glaswegian stand-up comedian, and we talk all about Glasgow in this podcast, one of my favorite cities in the world. We talk about what it was like to grow up there. We talk about the working class psyche and attitudes that people in Glasgow have. We talk about the lack of representation of working class people in not just comedy, but music as well, and the media industry as a whole and the implications of that. We talk about the art of comedy, how Susie got into comedy. That's quite an interesting story as well. Um, And we talk about some of the hard times which she's been through in recent times from the ending of her civil partnership she split with her partner of many years a couple of years back and then after that shortly after that lost her grandma who she was very close to and then soon after that her mum was diagnosed with cancer so she had that kind of awful things happen in threes run and she talks a lot about how she used humor to get through those dark times as we often do Um, and we talk about all kinds of stuff aside from comedy as well Susie is a very smart switched on educated person and she educated me in all things from politics and Scottish independence and Scottish history to you know Brexit we get into that a little bit and we talk about UK national identity and immigration and the educational system and uh, yeah it's a very multi-layered conversation this one and one that I really enjoyed doing and
and it's one that I hope you thoroughly enjoy as well. So um, as always, do let us know your thoughts. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram if you want to get in touch on those platforms at MattStocksDJ is the handle. Um, and you can also subscribe to the show if you're not already on ACAST, Spotify and iTunes. And on iTunes, you can also find the, uh, you know, the rating and review section. And if you do like this chat, please do head over there and leave your thoughts on the iTunes page because it all helps grow the show. Um, but without further ado, here we go. This is episode 119 of Life in the Stocks with Susie McCabe. Enjoy the show. Let's begin with Birmingham, my hometown. Yeah. You like playing Birmingham? You played there much? I do. I always think uh, industrial cities is probably where I go down well. I've got, I <laughs> yeah, I can I see that. Yeah, I yeah, come yeah. from Glasgow. That's your people. That's, that's it. So I think, you know, Newcastle, Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, Nottingham. I do a lot of live Q&A events. I've done a bunch with the Dirty Sanchez boys yeah. and the shows we did in Newcastle. Newcastle and Sheffield. Well, like, Sheffield's bang great. on. I'd never done a gig in Sheffield. Done one a couple of months ago in a place called the Lead Mills. Yes, yeah, yeah. What an awesome venue, awesome space. And you're going, oh, Wednesday night in Sheffield, this is living the dream. What a gig. <laughs> yeah. Because they were all there for comedy. And, yeah, it was, it was great. So I just think, yeah, I really, I like Brum. It, it just... It's just another city that just reminds me of home. Well, that bill that night as well, I really want to get on the lad Tom Ward who was on that night yeah, as well because he's fantastic. And I like the way he plays with his androgyny and, you know, kind of can... With a crowd like that crowd who are fairly Saturday night, beers in hand, it can mess with them a bit and put mm-hmm. them on edge. But because he's so cheeky with it yeah. and obviously hilarious with it, he really won them over. Yeah, and that... I mean, I always think comedians... Like Tom, like I'm a storyteller. So I think guys like Tom are way braver than me because they can go into a room and they don't know how that's going to go that night because it really depends on the room. Very much so. And how they are and how they've been set up beforehand. You know, if there's four stag parties in and they are massively pumped up, Tom's going to Tom's going to struggle, and and anyone would struggle yep. if you were doing his type of stuff. That kind of different. Li- no, not even so much off the wall, just slightly more obscure. There's than- certainly a surrealist element yes, going on. Yeah. And then obviously you've got the music aspect of it as well. Yeah, and- yeah, but he's great, <laughs> he's great. And, the- and who was that American guy? He was brilliant, but he did not go over well. They just didn't get him. They just, yeah. What was his name? Oh, he was amazing. I actually seen him the other day and I seen his, his name come up. In a- a lot of his jokes were based around his name, weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> and he was, he was a lovely guy as well, but he just couldn't. It just wouldn't fall for him. It's too cerebral, wasn't it? And I think as well, sometimes American acts, you know, like in the States, if you're being introduced, you're like, you've seen them on Letterman, you've yeah, seen yeah, them yeah, on that. Yeah. You can't do that in this country. They're like, what? Like, Never seen it, mate. Crack Eight out of ten cats. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think even if you'd done that, just yeah. as British, people would just sit with their arms folded and go, go on Impress then. me. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. who we are as a nation. Yeah. We kind of like the, the underdog on the stage to... To do really well when they maybe weren't expecting it. 
yeah. as opposed to somebody with a ream of credits being announced. Before yeah, it's almost time. like a resentment of success, isn't it, <laughs> that the British have? So you're basically going to be doing, I guess, a more in-depth version of the show that I saw you do yeah. in Birmingham at Edinburgh. Yeah. That's very much the thread, domestic yeah. disaster. Yeah. Let's backtrack a bit first, though. So you're from Glasgow. Yep. Um, how was growing up there? It was great. It was great. It's a great city. I grew up in a really nice part of the east end of Glasgow. Uh, the east end of Glasgow is one of the unhealthiest places <laughs> in the world. <laughs> uh, in Europe, I think we have got the lowest age for mortality in men. I, I heard that. At one point, it was like down to like 40 years Well, my old. best friend's dad is from Paisley, and so he's always informing me of the local characters from around there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. proper Glasgow, right? Proper. Well, that's just the well, punters from Paisley want to be, they want to be their own city. Right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's got two streets. No, but, uh, yeah, and it's just, it, it was, my dad was a spark. My mum was a dinner woman, and then a, a home help later on um so i grew up in a nice part of a terrible area <laughs> uh, and i didn't really see my dad because it was the 80s so my dad was always down here down in london working away he was you know he was a sparky and he was a grafter because he you know both my parents came from real working class yeah and you know my dad's ambition was to own a house which is probably going to be his grandchildren's ambitions <laughs> looking at the housing market but so, so yeah, so he really strived and, and they both tried to kind of push on and socially to move up that social scale, you know. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great city, Glasgow. I love it. It's well, I've played there a lot as well on, on DJ tours and we do, um, well, the old ABCO2, which obviously burnt down, yeah. uh, the Cat House, I played a bunch. And again, it's another one of those cities. Every night feels like Friday in Glasgow, it's a doesn't good, it? Yeah, we're good people. We're, yeah. we're a good city. We have our social problems like everywhere else, but someone will always talk to you in Glasgow. Someone will put you on the bus, put you in a taxi home, they'll they'll point you in a direction. There's a kind of famous joke that if you ask somebody in Glasgow for directions, they'll walk you to where you're going, even if it's the opposite direction, you know? And I think that I kind of feel the same about Newcastle and Liverpool. I've always been like that whenever I've been in them. It's just that I think where you've had heavy industry, Irish immigration, I think that's just a thing that comes through in the people, even though society's moved on i think it's a it's a real thread that runs through post-industrial cities i think the two things for me which define glasgow as well as that generous hospitable welcoming nature is the sense of humor yeah like everybody is basically a comedian aren't they? Ah, yeah, even yeah, if they're yeah, not on stage yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Even and do you think that's from the hard times that it's a way of coping and dealing with it and seeing the good in the world and yeah i think i think that just comes up a, a darkness i don't I don't always know if comedy can come from a place of flowers and rainbows. I think comedy has to come from somewhere. Tragedy like, plus time, right? Yeah, it's a bit like, you know, when, when was it Julie Walters that came out and, and said, look, you need to start giving scholarships to the working class. And then Noel Gallagher was saying, you need to get working class kids doing music because you need that working class grit. Yeah. You, you need that. It comes from a place of darkness. It doesn't need to be tragedy. It just, when you know that you live in a certain area, you go to a certain school, your parents are of a certain social standing, that's not great. It's not terrible, but it's not great. That That's maybe your only way out. Yeah, that. completely. And 
I think now, like I've got a niece who's eight, and I said, like, you know, she's she's mixed race and she stays in a poor part of the city. And I drum it into her, like, what are you going to achieve at school this week? You know, work hard, work hard, because I know at some point in the next eight nine years, I'll need to sit her down and say, life is stacked up against you, but it doesn't mean to say you can't beat it. But statistically, at eight years old, I already know that life's stacked up against her, and I think that. That's a very working class thing that you need that the grit and the darkness and you know that you've you've got a tougher hand to deal with than other kids. I think at the moment, and maybe you can, you know, confirm or deny, it seems to me that music and comedy is for the large part populated by more middle class privileged entertainers and performers now because it's not easy to you know go and do the edinburgh fringe for a whole summer if you don't have you know say a family that can support you or you've got a well-paid job that it's tough right it's not easy Uh, yeah a hundred percent i think there's something quite sad in that yeah Um, well you're missing out on all those great stories and points of view aren't you yeah yeah and that privileged middle class view is very similar it's a very similar thread um, and I don't think you're you're getting an overall view of the complexities of life because you've never had to worry about it. You've never had to worry about living in London for five years to you hone your craft because money's been put in your bank every month yep. and your flat's been paid every month. So all you really need to do is get yourself food and an oyster card to get to your gigs. <laughs> um, even just opportunities from living out with London... If you are based in the north and there's an opportunity, you might not be able to afford to come down and take that opportunity. So, yeah, I'm not saying there's not a place for privileged because obviously there's some very good comedians who come from that background and that's... Yeah, obviously if you're funny, you're funny as well. It's not about like reverse. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But at the same time... Prejudice. It it is that thing where you're going, we, we can't be consumed with that. And unfortunately, this whole country is consumed by the class system and it kind of defines who you are and what you then slot into. What can you even be pitched for? Because are you going to appeal to that market? Because you're going to talk about things that they don't want to hear because the people that maybe listen to that show or watch that show are maybe living in the shires they're, they're conservative with a small C. They might be One Nation Tories, but they they don't really want to hear about you stepping over needles in a high-rise flat or or having to pick a junkie out of a, you know, flat entrance because that, to them, is a world that, that you know, you'd be as well talking about living in India. Yeah. They, they, it's so different. So you, our whole structure in this country and, 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 and in entertainment is defined by where what social class we were in, unfortunately. Do you feel constrained by yours? Do you feel... No, I, I wouldn't. I know I don't let it. I just go, this is who I am. Uh, I, won't, I won't change. I will always try and improve. And you hope that you're trying to improve to the point where if I'm sitting doing a gig to Marjorie in Guildford, Marjorie in Guildford is laughing because what I'm saying is funny and she likes me and she might not relate to it, but she can see the funny side of it. And that's 
that's the the art of being a comedian. Equally, if you are from a privileged background and you can stand in a stage in a Liverpool or a Glasgow and immediately in the first 30 seconds that audience is going, oh aye, here we go, Chino's posh accent and you can get that room by the end they're on their feet. That That's the talent there. So, yeah, I don't think... You can let it define you. I think I've just got to an age where I'm like, no, I'll keep I'll keep plugging away. But unfortunately, that's the way it works. And it's the same for music. I'm going to go back in a moment, but you've just reminded me of something there. So at the night in Birmingham, when I saw you play, you were talking about moving back home with your mm-hmm. folks after breaking up with your partner. Mm-hmm. And you were saying there was someone in the crowd in perhaps somewhere like a Guildford. And he's like, yeah, I know what you mean. It's really tough. And it was a guy who was like 19 or something. Yeah, 19. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hugo. Hugo. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Hugo, yeah. Yeah, I moved out, yeah. What age were you, Hugo? Oh, oh, oh. 19. <laughs> Shut up, Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> Had to be called Hugo totally, as well, right? Totally, totally. Right, Hugo. <laughs> so how old were you when you started performing? Did you I always was, know that that was what you wanted to do? No. Or were you a late latecomer to yeah, comedy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was three days before my 31st birthday. Uh, what had happened, my... There's hope for me yet then. I'm oh, 33 and I'd still love to get into stand-up. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing. We stand-up, you can do it at any age. You look at Mickey Flanagan. Ah, oh, and he's brilliant. Uh, amazing. <laughs> I mean, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. But you look at, at what age he broke through it. Um, I, th- I think that gives us all hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, what had happened, my mate was travelling, uh, she'd been away for a few years, uh, went on holiday, took on well, came back to Scotland, got a message from her best friend here, and it was basically, um, she's got stage four terminal, uh, stage four ovarian cancer, and they gave her, I think, 18 months, and she survived maybe three and a half years. And I was sat with my other friend, and he and I were mutual friends of her. He was kind of closer to her. And we were sat, it was three in the morning. We were drunk. We had curry. We were in my house. And he was like, oh, you know, we should really scare ourselves. And I said, well, I can't jump out a plane. I'm not doing it. He was like, you know, life is so short. And look at you. And at this point, I was, I was, you know, planning a civil partnership. I was, had a house, had a mortgage, had a good job. Um, what were you doing? I was an electrical estimator. Right. So I don't I, know what that is, but so sounds basically impressive. Basically, I would uh, <laughs> price like capital expenditure projects like prisons and colleges or office blocks, uh, and I would price all the electrical works in them. So from the point of where the electric meter comes in, so the cabling, all your distribution equipment, which powers everything to your sockets, your lights... Tree, Does that involve a lot of studying to get a gig like that? Are you having yeah, to have a, a sparky. lot, right? And you just sort of worked your way up. Sparky, and then I. So you followed in your father's estimating. footsteps. Yeah, but not at first. Like, oh no, was <laughs> a bar manager and all that long before right, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we he said, oh, you can do this comedy course at Strathclyde Uni in Glasgow. It's like a night school. It's like a kind of lifelong learning thing where they do writing and all different courses. You always make me laugh and I make you laugh. Let's do it. And then you know what? See at your funeral, somebody will stand up at your eulogy and say, she actually done five minutes of stand-up comedy. And I went, oh, okay. Hi, okay. So the next morning I come downstairs and he's like, 
do you remember what you agreed to last night? And I was like, I do. Get out your checkbook and I will transfer the money just now. So he paid the fee, I gave him the money, and we went and done this course. And on the first day of the course, the the teacher, Viv G, was going round the room, asking everyone, people like, yeah, yeah, I've done uh, amateur dramatics, yeah, 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 uh, I've always wanted to do stand-up, I'm a bit of a joker. <laughs> <laughs> and it got to Paul, and Paul's like, I wanted to do this course for five years. And I'm sitting like, what? What? I have no idea of this. And then she's like, so what have you done on stage, Susie? And I was like, nothing. And she's like, did you do a skill show? And I'm like, nah. She's like, what about the nativity? And I'm like, nah. <laughs> and I was Zero like, experience. No, no. I was like, I don't think I've, I've ever held a microphone. And I could see her like, all right, okay. <laughs> and then we'd done the course. And as we were going through the course, she was like, you're really good. Get your friends to come down. And I was like, right, okay. And Facebook, I just kind of joined that, put it up, loads of my mates came down, and it just, I'd done a five-minute gig, and then it just snowballed from there. I say snowballed in comedy terms, like I'm, I'm eight and a half years in, but I just kept getting open spot gigs and open spot gigs and open spot gigs, and then I would get paid gigs, and then gradually, after about 18 months, I got into the stand because I couldn't get in for one reason or another, <clears throat> and Jeannie Godley put me forward. She sent them an email while I was sat in a car with her and went, look, you need to see this act. She's really good, and I never recommend anybody. And they went, right, okay. So they gave me, they sent me an email, they gave me a gig. Tommy Shepard was still um, kind of main shareholder at the time. Tommy came down and, and watched it, and the next day they just gave me a load of gigs. So then that just... It just kind of let me go on, but I didn't. I didn't give up my job until October. Just gone there. I, wow! Uh, I still kept my job. So you going. did seven and a half years or so of part time. Yeah, yeah. Full yeah, yeah. part time, full time stand up, as yeah, it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I waited until I could, like, until I was getting booked by the Glee and headlining the stand and emceeing the stand. And in that time, Glasgow has a comedy festival, so I started to do solo shows and um, a promoter called Alan Anderson who runs Rotunda in Glasgow, he phoned me up one day and he went, do you want to do a solo show? It's a deadline for the comedy festival. And I went, oh, I'll never be able to write an hour. So this was uh, 2013. And he went, yeah, you will. I'll make you write. Do an hour. And I went, right, okay. And we were in this tiny wee room, just along from the stand, actually. And it sold out. And he went, right, I'm going to put on a second show. I think you'll sell it out. But... The only time I can do it is to put you back-to-back shows. And I was like, ah, okay. And we'd done that. And the following year, Tommy had said to me, why didn't you come and do a show at the stand? And I was like, because it's the stand. Like, You're not going to give me, I'm just a newbie, a club. And he went, I'll give you a club. And from that, the stand gave me solo shows every year, moving me from a Wednesday to a Thursday, and then a Thursday to a Saturday. And then I was selling those out. So... And then last year, I just went full-time and I put my solo show on for March and I sold out two nights in like 40 hours. Wow. And that's when I kind of went, right, if you can do that in Glasgow, that's a real sign of success. So you need to, you need to kind of, now is probably the best time for you to make the leap because you're, you can validate 
selling out the comedy club in your own city in that, that short a space of time, there's obviously a demand. And in that time, the sister company of The Stand, the Scottish Comedy Agency, um, for the two years previous to that, toured me. So I stayed away from Edinburgh for two years, done Edinburgh for two years, two years away, toured a wee mini tour of Scotland, doing provincial theatres. It was great. And I was, in that second year, I got really good numbers. So that's when I thought, well, if you're getting those kind of numbers on a tour and you can sell that on the back of your name with no television tiny bit of radio you're doing something right and no that's no, amazing no facebook videos no yeah 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 being a, just old school word of mouth just, just graft just yeah. graft you know just grafting kicking everywhere and anywhere when yeah. was the tipping point for your material or was the material always kind of there did that come naturally i think it came naturally and it's the storytelling thing which i think comes from that again it, that whole working class and thing of just, oh, wait till I tell you that, sitting in a pub or sitting in your mum's living room or at a family party, that kind of thing. And obviously, growing up, I mean, every Scottish comedian's watched Billy Conley, you know, <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, that, yeah. you know, he's he's the inspiration <laughs> for everyone. So. Is he the gold standard still? Oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. I, I, Billy Conley at his optimum is... It's just still outstanding. I've I, I seen him live about 10 years ago, and I, I was second row, and I was just, I just sat, just mouth wide open, just like, it's, it's Billy Conley, it's, <laughs> it's that, he's, he's, it's like, I know, like a John Lennon type figure, you know, but he's tangible and he's there, and that's what we were all brought up with, just to interview that great, funny, funny man. You know, and, and when you sit back and you listen, or in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I watched an audience with Billy Conley and I still had tears running down my face with laughter because it just, it, it's timeless. It's timeless and it, yeah. So I think that storytelling thing always came and then as I was writing my first show, Viv, who taught me in the class, was reading through it and she went, right, you need to punch it up. So she was like, you're just telling a story here, so you need to make it funny. And that's when the writing started to get a bit sharper and a bit quicker. And as you produce each show, you hope it gets better. And people keep saying, oh, yeah, it's getting, man, that was, that was, I loved last year's show, but this year's show. So you're hoping, and then I'm hoping to go to Edinburgh this year, having not been there for two years, but toured longer shows, because these shows are normally like 240s, 245s that you're in a different kind of place to where you are because an hour doesn't seem very long now that you've done two shows. Do you know, an hour's like, oh, I can do an hour. I can do an hour, no bother. So I think the the writing and the tipping point has just always been a thing that's just improved because you've just had to keep producing. Because if you keep putting shows on sale and people keep buying tickets, I have this fear of going, what? What if I let them down? Because I always, I always think you're the cheapest part of a night out for people, but their whole night is built around you. They've got babysitters, they've got taxis, they've maybe went for dinner, they're buying drinks. That's a proper working class attitude to have, I think, as well, isn't it? Because if you don't know that they've done that or don't appreciate that they've done that, perhaps you don't put as much importance on you for them in that moment. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe it is that thing. I just always think that 
if someone's bought tickets for your show in October and they're coming to that show in March, they have planned that. They have got yeah. that in the diary. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't make a mess. Yeah, they've, they're, they're paying 40 quid for a babysitter. They've maybe got a train in, but they're getting a taxi home. They're having drinks. They're having dinner. They're maybe the best part of £150 to to sit. So I would always do an hour and a half show with an interval so that they had their night out because I think that kind of... It's not the fringe. They're not going to another show. They're not going anywhere else. And just that thing of just saying... You know, that's in your calendar. I remember about three years ago on Christmas Day, I got a message to my Facebook page and it was somebody saying, you were one of my Christmas presents and it was two tickets to my show. And I was like, well, that's the weirdest shit I've ever seen. (laughs) That you are a Christmas... And I remember just sitting looking at it going, am I actually a Christmas present for someone? And they were like, oh... I thought I'd missed out on the tickets because they sold out and they got two tickets. And I was like, right, I am right, I am now Beyonce, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> the big league, baby, yeah. Beyonce of Glasgow. This is pretty much what a Glaswegian Beyonce would look like. <laughs> but, but yeah, I remember thinking that's, that's important to people and times are hard for a lot of people. And if they've spent money or if someone's spent money to give them a night out, you, you need to give them a night out. Yeah, it's just it's just the way I feel about it. It's like when I go to concerts and people are terrible, I'm like that. Or they're just phoning it in and you're like, come on, man. I go to so many gigs and sometimes you can just tell when a front man or front lady's heart is not in it and you can just see they're kind of just going through the motions. And yeah. often the rest of the band seem, I, I think it's a singer thing. I think there's that arrogance that comes of being the, you know, the, the lead leads. singer. They're either like, I'm into it tonight or I'm not. And it just shows when they're not. And you just, I, it's just wrong because people, especially nowadays, people have bought tickets so far in advance. Yeah. That it doesn't matter if it's a wet Wednesday night in Glasgow. I have paid to see you. Just just go for it because there's no way the crowd aren't up for it. Yeah. So they're excited. They're there. And I always think there's, you know, especially when I was working, and gigging, there'd be some days you're just like, I am so tired, I've had such a heavy week, I've done 50 hours at my day job, I've had four gigs this week, I mean gig number five, I've got another two to go, it's Friday night. But see when you walk on that stage and you hear that applause, and you get that first laugh, it you're, it's like a shot in the arm, you're just straight back up and like, right, boom, boom, boom. You know, it's, it's wonderful. The only time of year that I think, have that kind of dread is Christmas because <laughs> you're not dealing with comedy audiences. You're it's just, staff parties, aye, yeah. Aye. yeah, yeah. Your your comedy and the 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 night in general is a byproduct of the. You're night almost out. like a background noise kind aye, of thing, yeah. Aye, I am always like, don't don't do Christmas nights out. Let's <laughs> go and listen to a band. Yeah. Or have a party in the office. <laughs> stop ruining our nights, <laughs> isn't it? Stop. I get that. I DJ out a lot, and it's always my least favourite time. Yeah, obviously the pay's double, so that's good. But then you're like, oh, I know exactly what requests I'm going to get all night. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and it's the it's the drug thing as well. Just now, the drug culture. Just now with it, with like, why would you take cocaine and go to a comedy club? But I just can't. Like, take cocaine, listen to a band, knock yourself out. Don't come somewhere where you physically cannot talk and have to listen and then take a drug that makes you want to talk. Just, wait, just stay Are they nice. super easy to spot? Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and you can also tell if 
the drugs have arrived at a table, you know. <laughs> that excitement. That, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you, the, the MC's been on, the first act's been on, there's a break. Uh, break will be a bit longer because it's Christmas. Uh, everyone sits back down, the MC goes back on and you look at the table and they're up and they're down and they're up and they're down. And then within about five minutes, the the, the feral <laughs> kind of primeval instinct comes out and you're like, a oh, bag of canes just been delivered there. You know, and you just... And it's a shame, really, because it ruins the night for everybody else. I still get paid, you still get paid, but it just, especially in a comedy club, it can ruin things for people. Do you, have you ever performed on coke yourself? No, no, no I've never, I've never uh, had a drink on stage. Never had a drink nah, on stage. Never had wow. A drink before a gig, never. Even if I was like out for lunch at one o'clock on a Saturday, and I'm not going to be on stage till half ten, I wouldn't even have a pint. Wow. I just have a thing that I'll throw out. I'll throw out timing. And you want to be super sharp. Um, it's no man night out. It's it's their night out. It's the audience's night out. It's no man night out. I'll have a few beers after it if I want a few beers. Invariably, I've got the car. Uh, but I don't, yeah, it's it's their night out. I'm not getting paid to have a drink with strangers. I'm getting paid to make them laugh. It's their night out, you know, so I get to do that every week. And if I want to go for a drink, I've got pals to go for a drink with, you know, and I can be me. I don't need to be the comedian. It's just, it's just my thing. I admire comedians that can do it and still be slick and sharp because I think it's a bit like, it's a bit like a football player having a curry before a big game. You're like, it's going, it's going to bag you up, mate. You're, you're not, you're not going to be your optimum there. Maybe have a banana. Um, but yeah, I, 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 not for me, not for me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Did you ever delve into the, I guess, more excessive end of drinking or drug taking after your breakup with your partner? Uh, no, 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 I done all that between the ages of twelve and seventeen. Really? Yeah. Proper Glaswegian childhood. Proper, proper hardcore. Uh, yeah. You just got I, it out of your system. Yeah, I think. I mean, so that would have been ninety two to ninety seven. Uh, I was. I knew I was gay. I knew how my parents were going to react to that, which wasn't positive. 
and I think just kind of dealing with that. And, and there was a lot of recreational drugs at that time, and it was easy to get. It was easier than having to get alcohol. Yeah, of course. Because um, they're right there on the street, and you don't have to try and... Don't need to go anywhere. Fake yeah. ID 18 it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I smoked a lot of hash. And then when, when I came out, and I moved in with my gran, um, when I came out and moved in with her, I just stopped. And I, I know I thought, nah, I'm just never, I'm just not interested in that. So no, when I, when when my marriage ended, it was just sad. But it was it was also a thing where you just go, well, you, this is the kind of next chapter. You 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 can't be distracted by drinking drugs because I knew I had my comedy, which is probably I've got an addictive personality, right. So that's probably where I get... That's a healthier addiction though, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. If, as long as you've got people around you to keep you grounded, I think. I think if you let it all... Oh, yeah, I sold out these this many tickets. I think if you get like that, you kind of lose the sense of where you are. Um, and, I, and because I've surrounded myself with people who have known me for 10, 20 years, that keeps you, that keeps you grounded, you know, because they're... They're your friends. They're people who love you, and they won't see you go down that road or isolate yourself. Even though they don't see me as much now, because obviously, when I'm works off, going well, and you're off and around. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, when when they're working, I'm off, and when I'm working, they're off. But yeah, yeah, you just try and make as much time for for those people as you can. And is a civil partnership a harder thing to work towards than a a regular wedding? And then is it by that same default, more of a horrible experience reaching an end and having to get a divorce, knowing that you've put in all this work and time and effort. Like, does that yeah. have an effect, or is it just it's plain and simple heartbreak, the same as any yeah. other? Yeah, that's it. Plain and simple heartbreak. There, there was probably about ten percent of me going, ah, you don't want to be that statistic. Of going, oh, well, you can't trust the gays with the marriage, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it was heartbreaking. It was sad. It was really sad because it was my call in the end. And uh, I, I broke someone's heart. And I live with that guilt every day because sometimes it's easier to have your heart broken than to break someone else's. But in the long run, I still think it was the right decision. And... That's difficult, but we have, we, we're never going to go for dinner and drinks, but we have shared custody of the dogs. Uh, what dogs you got? A Labradoodle and a wee Lab who was a rescue. Um, we actually had three, but one, one had to get put to sleep. And I was, we were both there for that and we'd done what we had to do. And, and I would, you know, I'll be, can you watch the dogs? Yeah, of course, no bother. And if I pop round, you know, I'll have a cup of tea and a ciggy and we'll have a catch-up and then, you know, that and that's it. And Because and, you don't spend that long with someone. You know, I was 19 when I met that person. And How long were you together? 16 years. Wow. Married for two. Uh, just over two. So, yeah, I wouldn't... I, I wish her nothing but happiness. Uh, and she's a wonderful, wonderful person. But we, we, in my eyes, just grew apart, which was a shame. But nineteen, you know, it's it's a long, it's a long run, and and I don't regret any of it. I don't. I would do it all again. I would do it all again, 
And if it all played out the exact same way, I would stand by every decision that I've made in it. So, you live, and, and that's it. You can't, I don't think you can be filled with regret. You know, I think you just go, that was good times, but they came to an end. And then you readjust, and you sort of refigure what life's about, and that's a trip, isn't it? Yeah. When you're yeah. of a certain age, and you're like, oh my God, this is all I've known since I was a kid. And now, I've, now I've got to figure it all out from scratch. And it's different <laughs> because the world's completely changed. Of course, changed. dating's a whole new beast. It's just, it's, it's <laughs> totally different. And your mates are at then a different level because they're in, because that's a big shock to your mates. Like, your mates are like, what? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, we didn't see this coming. And you're like, well, it's this is where we're at. And that's a thing for them. And they're at a different point because they're maybe in a long-term relationship or preparing for a wedding do you know so it's not that thing when you're 19 of going ah it's me out seven nights a week on the pool because yeah yeah because you've got no one to go out with because they're all married with kids and <laughs> you're just the old lesbian at the corner of the bar just standing with a pint and you're like, kids are like i wish she'd go up the road just creeping me out but uh yeah yeah so it was different it was different but it was great and do you know what really good mates really good family just that's what gets you through, isn't it? Aye, 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 a hundred percent. And I will never, yeah, I, you, I would never have fell off the rails with that. I think too many people around me, and also when you're unhappy towards the end in that situation, there does come a, a kind of lift of pressure off you because you go right. I've done the hardest thing I can do, so I'm still here. So everything's everything else will be fine. Whatever life throws at me. I'll be fine. And then my marriage ended in the October and my beloved grandmother died the following June. And that was horrendous because I adored her. This is the same one you spent some time living with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I just was like, this is the worst thing imaginable. But again, I'm still here. And I'm still living a life and everything's going really well. So, again, you get through that. And then the month after, two, no, six weeks after my grand dying, who, uh, my nana, my mother's mum, <coughs> my mum then got a diagnosis that she had pancreatic cancer. And you're going, oh, <coughs> right, that's the three. It's the, yeah, the awful thing in threes thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And... Pancreatic cancer has a 13% survival rate. Is that all it is? Because it's so difficult to treat, and it's normally very difficult to um, diagnose it. And once you've got the diagnosis, it's too late. So they caught it really early, and my mum's mom, my never smoked. And, you know, as you know, when she was younger, she kept herself quite fit and stuff like that. Didn't really eat a lot of red meat, that kind of stuff. And... I remember going into the hospital to see my mum and she was like lying in high dependency, tubes everywhere. And I remember thinking for the first time, thank God my nana isn't here to see this. Because my nana lost kids, she had miscarriages, then she had a son, then she had my mother, she had five miscarriages. My uncle Charles was then killed when he was ten and my mum was four and then she had a stillborn after my mum. So my mum was her only child, and... God, she had it rough. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, but she did, 
and she had an old school husband that, that, you know, drank a lot, went to the bookies, that kind of thing. But she was never bitter and she didn't hold any resentment towards life. And I think you just... Did that have a big inspiration on you? Yeah, and it was only when she died that I've kind of thought about that. And when I was writing her eulogy and I thought about that, and I thought... She just won't. She just wouldn't be defined by that stuff. It was just things that happened, and that's important. You need to try and keep that at the forefront, of because it's very easy in this game to get jaded and look at people and why is that not me? It's so easy to do it, and you can't. You just can't let yourself go down that route because that anger and bitterness will eat you from the inside out. Um. So yeah. So I think. With all that and everything that happened then, that also probably eased a lot of pressure on the actual separation because my ex-partner, you know, was at my grand's funeral, uh, all that kind of stuff, and, you know, keep her updated on my mum and stuff like that. So I think that took a lot of what could have been bitter and anger out of it, and we, we very much kept everything between us our agreements were our agreements and that that was all between us and wasn't discussed even with the closest of friends whatever we were doing it was our business and not for the public domain and not for the people involved in our lives uh we had people that we could talk to in our families if we wanted to talk to or get advice but it was very much our thing and we very very much kept it like that which i think makes such a big difference that you still show that person that respect and then with my nana dying and, and my mum's cancer, I think that took a lot of the kind of... Not, I would hope that there wouldn't have been poison, but I think it certainly smoothed over a situation because, you know what, other things are going on that are a bit important. You know, you're dealing with grief and then your mother might not come through this. And that night I went to see her lying in the hospital. The consultant came through and he was like, yeah, it was really bad. And he goes, but we've got it all out. And I was like, right, so is that what's happening? He's like, well, she doesn't have a pancreas. We've taken out your mum's spleen. She's only got a 40% stomach. And we took out 28 uh, lymph nodes in her chest. But we think we've got it all and she'll survive. And I was like, that's that's not just a wee bit of cancer getting cut out. That's a lot. That is a lot. And that recovery period was very long for my mum and watching that, and I still, I don't think my mum truly understood what she had went through until she had been through it, and then I was kind of saying to her, you know, dad was a bit of a wreck, and that kind of, and she was like, really? And then when you kind of take it all through, because I don't think she really wanted to know how bad it was, she just wanted to get better, and I think that, that thing, all that at that time, Meanwhile, while this is going on, I'm still jumping on stage telling jokes and doing <laughs> a day job. Now, are you talking about any of that stuff or are you very much no, keeping that no, separate? No, I wouldn't. And... Yeah, I don't, I, I don't talk about the divorce thing because it's not just me. There's someone yeah, yeah, else yeah. there and that's not fair. Um, this is probably the most I've ever spoken about that just now. Uh, Thank you for sharing. No, no. Um, the... My mum's cancer. Uh, I've kind of got a little joke getting into a new show because I've done a, a thing for benefit makeup where they do a thing with their eyebrow bars and all the money goes to 
um, domestic violence charities and boys, girls, women, men who have had cancer in their face and they show them how to do like makeup skills. And I done a thing and they said, look, we can't pay you, but why don't you come into Fraser's and bring your girlfriend? And I said, can I bring my mum? Because my mum's had cancer. So two of us sat there and the girl was plucking my mum's eyebrows. And mum was like, oh, 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 that's awful sore. And I was like, you don't have a spleen. <laughs> you, you don't have a bubble. And and your stomach's at 40% and they've taken cancer of your body and you're moaning about an eyebrow being plucked. And we all just absolutely creased ourselves, you know. And she goes, but I got an anaesthetic for that, Susan. Which it's just made me laugh even more. And I think that that's a kind of lovely story, you know what yeah. I mean? I'll, I'll probably put that in, but I wouldn't I wouldn't talk about our struggle with it because it was it was awful. I do talk a lot about my granddying. Uh in the last show the show before Domestic Disaster, I spoke about it and, and that kind of grief and talking about grief and, and the anger that comes with grief. Because uh, it's just, and, and talking about that and how you, you need to not do it. And then people's attitudes to grief and, and stuff and being Catholic and the priest coming round and doing the last rites and then... Oh, very mom, heavy and sombre. Yeah, and... yeah, but it, like my mum's like, that's the priest staying for tea. You need to get the hoover out. And I'm like, I've just lost my nana. What do I do with her? Give her a leg and a wing. You know, this kind of, that old school Catholic mum who's like, the priest's in and I'm like, I, do you know, and it's, that that kind of stuff is funny, like, and talking about my nana in those kind of last, last few weeks and the kind of laughs we had and stuff like that, you know, and, and our moments of lucidity, which were funny and nice and heartwarming. I think they're, they're lovely to share because she, she was such a good human being and she was so unassuming that it's lovely to tell people. And people say to me, people will say to me, your stories about your wee nana. And I'm like, yeah, because everyone's got an auntie or a gran or, or someone who they just hold so dearly that you should share that because the world now is pretty rubbish. And if you can go, look, here's this wee old woman that didn't care that I was gay. And she was more Catholic than the Pope. <laughs> but here's her relationship. And you tell them, and they just yeah, it's it's a good thing. So I, I yeah, I'm, I'm selective in what I share, selective. But you uh, you can't give everything out. You need to keep some stuff back for yourself, or else everybody wins a bit of you. Then don't they? I guess every comedian has their limits as well, don't they? And there are some that go so far to the edge, and you know, seemingly seemingly sorry, just give so much of themselves mm. to the material. But then, as you say, are you then able to live a private life off that stage? And you've got yeah. to draw the line, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think especially when it involves other people. Like, there's nothing funny about your mum having cancer. But there is something funny about your mum finding her eyebrows being plucked. Yeah. As if it's like, as if she's in a torture chamber <laughs> with ISIS. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And you're like... <laughs> everything you've been through and that's where the pain comes from <laughs> um, there's something really nice about that and it's a kind of it's an underdog thing winning again isn't it it's a woman yeah. that's been through this <laughs> but her eyebrows are 
I'm just agony. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think you've got to, and especially when it, I can. I can talk about my relationship with my gran and I can talk about my relationship with my parents and my partner and my mates, but to then take things out of their life and put it in, I don't think that's fair. I don't I don't think that's right. What's the main crux of the the new Edinburgh piece? Is it gonna be kind of re readjusting to life after no, a big breakup or have we gone beyond that? And- no, I, so the first half of the show are the first section, if you like, the show's in three main parts. First section of the show, I talk about living at home with my parents as an adult. Right. Right. So you would have heard some of that yeah, stuff yeah, about yeah, coming yeah. in late and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... And how they seemingly revert to treating you like a kid, don't just they? Totally, it's just inbuilt in parents' totally, psyches. Just, just totally, the minute yeah, you're back, you're going out, what? It's, uh, this <laughs> time of night, on a Thursday, you've got, you've got your work in the morning. Mum, I don't start work till nine o'clock, tomorrow night. doesn't matter, Susan. You're busy. Um, yeah, so I talk about that, and and I then talk about internalised misogyny in the family. I talk right, okay. about the sexism that a mother shows that my dad doesn't, and this is aunties, grands, and mothers all over the world. Uh, and I kind of stick up for guys at this point, because I'm like, guys, this isn't your fault. And then I, I, I cite some examples, and they're funny, they're funny stories. And then the second section is going back into the world of dating, meeting someone, moving in with that person, realising I'm terrible about the house. And they kind of, <laughs> I'm terrible, I'm terrible. So is that where you're at now that in, is, in, in life? awful, awful. <laughs> but it's this um, dichotomy of two women, two of the two most important women in my life, being sexist to me and then the third part of the show i talk about first wave feminism second wave feminism i'm really talking about third wave feminism i talk about the importance of the me too movement and what that meant and what that done but i then say that i've worked in three main jobs in my life i worked in a gay bar male dominated i worked in building sites as a sparky male dominated i do comedy comedy male dominated and I highlight the sexism that I have had in every one of those jobs from women. And I kind of stick up for the guys and I say, 100% of the men in my life have not been sexist. And I'm not saying that there isn't sexist men out there. There absolutely is. And yep, there has been what like male privilege. Right? We can't deny it. But stop picking in boys that are 28 for 200 years of male privilege because he's only 28. Um, and then I talk about the Kardashians and women's magazines. Three influential women in my lifetime, like public women, that I can identify certain things with, even if I don't like them. And then I basically... Who would they be or would you sooner leave it? I'll leave it. Okay, I'll leave tell it. me off, Mike. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then I talk about the Kardashians, women's magazines, and how before we start, because we can bang on about patriarchy for another 200 years and we can smash the patriarchy. We need the men. We need guys like you who, I think the, the Me Too movement made you go, yeah, I'm all for equality. And then you seen the Me Too stuff and you came out and you went, this ba- is that how bad this is? 
oh, I didn't realise how the, how bad that was. I, I'm all for equality, I'm all for feminism, I'm right with you sisters, and I'm sorry. We can't just take a broad brush to you and go, but you're a man, you've had that. We, we, we need you guys, and in my opinion, you guys are the majority. And I take that on, and then I basically say that women need to stop, har- stop self-harming women. And I tie it back in. And that's where we take the show. So I think I may get a bit of grief in Edinburgh of a certain type of comedian or person, but I can only speak my own truth. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not making jokes about this or that. I'm 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 saying look I can't I am a I'm a lesbian Roman Catholic Glaswegian. <laughs> I should be a platinum card carrying working class feminist but between that kind of stuff and the turf movement that's going on in the now you know you know about the turfs the i can't i find that very difficult within my own community that there are women who have been subjugated against their whole life who are also gay again subjugated against their whole life standing up and subjugating trans people because they feel that their femininity is being threatened. It is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. And I don't feel comfortable with that. And I, and I, I, that's kind of in that last section of the show. It sounds amazing. And what a refreshing viewpoint as well. Because for me, I know that you can't always have that position. And maybe because I am white, a male, I can. But I just try and treat people on an individual basis yeah. as human beings. Yeah. Not that person is this label, that person is this label. Yeah, like. yeah. I put a thing on Facebook the other, the other day, like explaining that pride is a protest, right? Argos and Pret can put a pride flag up as much as they want. But pride was a protest started by drag queens and trans people. Not, you know, lesbians, gays, bi's. But let's not forget the trans and the drag role within that. And they are as much a part of the LGBT plus community as me. And and I I will not will not be put into a bracket because I am the working class lesbian Catholic. I'm not going into that bag of feminism because I find it toxic and I find And reductive, it, right? Yeah, yeah, and just morally wrong um so i i make sure that i'm i talk about that and i'm like no don't don't bracket me with these guys because i'm not that guy but equally i'm not just going to sit and give men a doing just because you're a guy because it's not right it's not right yeah there's men out there we all have issues with but the more good guys that we have the more they're going to either get them to change their attitudes or, or just stand tall with us and say, no, mate, it's not accepted. And you can you can go away because you don't matter because we're the majority and we are stronger as one. That's it, united together, isn't it? It's much more that unites better us, than divided and More that unites us than divides us. You know, and that's why like, I've never been, in, within the LGBT community, I've never been one for lesbian-only bars, uh, men-only bars, like, I get it, if it's a leather bar, it's predominantly going to be men. Knock yourself out. Uh, if it's, you know, bears, 
if I want to go into that pub and have a pint and there's loads of guys walking about with their arse hanging out in leather shorts, I do not care. <laughs> but equally, they shouldn't care that I'm at the end of the bar having a pint. Yeah. So I've never been one for segregation within the community. And then this whole trans and, and cultural appropriation and taking LGBT that's, that's black culture within that. Of the, you know, like it's the, almost like some people are just trying to be so so minority. They're like a subgenre of minority. Yeah. Do you know what I you mean? What, Look how different I am. Yeah. Yeah. Tell you Fuck what. Fuck everyone else. Yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it's just like, you know what? There's there's kids eating out of food banks. Who cares? Yeah. There's kids eating out of food banks. Why don't we worry about children eating out of food banks and and women in period poverty why don't you plow your energy into fighting that than fighting people who are going through a different journey from you but ultimately we all end up in the same place you know rosie who was just down here said she's about to go do a podcast called period drama wow. where people go on and talk about their period problems what an amazing concept and title and totally i could do it but two hours in that <laughs> Polycystic ovarian syndrome. <laughs> oh, jeez. But yeah, 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 yeah. But again, it's that thing of just the more you put that stuff out there, the less people will shy away from it. And the, the less people shy away from it, the more it becomes the norm. And then it's just a thing. And yep. we can all just be mature about and it. And then you can make jokes about it. Because that's the other thing, isn't it? Is people go, oh, you can't make jokes about that. It's like, well, why not? By saying that you can't make a joke about that, that's somehow implying that that's different and perhaps more vulnerable and yeah, it's, more taboo. And, and it's all about how you do the joke. If you're yes. doing a lunchtime gig and someone's eating a bowl of tomato soup and you do a period joke, you maybe want to think, I'll leave that joke taste. out the set, right? Because it's not at this moment in time <laughs> anyone in this room is going to enjoy that. Yeah. However, if you are clever... And you do a really good period joke in the middle of a club set on a Saturday night. It doesn't matter. It's just a really good joke. But context is everything, right? Hundred percent. And if it's funny, yeah, yeah, funny in the right environment. Because if you're a comic, you know in what rooms you have to do. You know, you know if you're in the arse end of nowhere and whether it be like Lanarkshire or Blackburn or Derby and you're in a working man's club, that is a very different set to the one that I would deliver in the glee. Now, it might be the same material, but my own stage persona and my language in delivering that will be entirely different because it's it's all about your gears, getting up and down your gears and, and gear changing and what's appropriate for where you're at. I think comedy is the ultimate art form. I love it so much. I love chatting to comedians. I love seeing them express really important ideas as well. I think it's one of the last art forms where you can almost say anything as long as it's said right and you can approach difficult subjects and, and you don't have like this current news trend where you'll take the headline out of context and you know run it as this clickbait thing. Like it's, for me, maybe, and you could agree or not, one of the last free art forms. Yeah, and I think now more than ever we need it. Now in a world where we have... Donald Trump going, nah, nah, it's just, just fake. It's just fake news. <laughs> no, Donald, that's not fake, mate. You colluded with the Russians. Ah, fake news. <laughs> Two years later, ah, colluded with the Russians. I remember, I remember, like, so 
when we went to war in the Falklands, right, this is this is the absolute this kinda sums up the change in politics. No, no, there is absolutely no gas and oil in the Falklands. And you're going, yeah, yeah, there's that. What are you keeping it for? Penguins and like ecotourism? Shut up. There must be gas and oil. And then Tony Blair. Yeah. There is gas and oil, but we do not that it will be decades upon decades before we can access that gas and oil in those reserves. All right. Gordon Brown. Yeah, we've we can now fit uh, oil and gas out the Falklands, right? And you're like, really, guys? So that's always been there. And it's just that, it's just that. And you just, it just gets slowly dripped in, dripped into your psyche. And you're going, wait, what? Wait, no. But now, I mean, look at the state that the country's in. We have blindly walked into this. We're Boris Johnson. I think it'll end up Jeremy Hunt, which I actually think might be worse. But Boris Johnson has a chance of being the Prime Minister of this country. Like, what an absolute laughingstock. Like, really? Like, how did that even happen? And now that that kind of momentum and people are going, they're going to need to call an election. <clears throat> Excuse me. At some point, they're going to need to call an election. Um whether it be before or after Brexit, they are going to need to call one. And you're sitting there saying to yourself, oh, is that Jeremy Corbyn not well? Is that is that now what's been repeated? Jeremy Corbyn's not well? Oh, Jeremy Corbyn looks really tired. Jeremy Corbyn needs his holiday. Might have been a suspected stroke with Jeremy Corbyn. And you're like, what is wrong with it? You know, because it's almost like, right, just put the groundwork in six months in advance. And you hear them. The worst thing that could happen to this country is Jeremy Corbyn. I'm sorry. I am... I don't vote Labour. I used to. And then Scottish Labour pretty much doesn't exist. But uh, I, I look at it and I go, you... Why are you so so scared? Why are newspaper owners and businessmen so scared of Jeremy Corbyn? It's like the Scottish independence debate. It's like, oh, you... Multi-millionaire comes out and says, don't vote for independence. Ah, oh, right, okay, when, when, when was the last time you were waiting for your social security to land so that you could go to the supermarket? You know, and, and I just look at the state of the country and I'm like, this is where we are, it's that fake news. And I think as comedians, I don't talk about politics in my set because it will just become, as you can probably tell, a self-indulgent rant. <laughs> but, but you're clearly very passionate about it, but yeah, there's but, no humour there almost because it's a fucking tragedy. Yeah, it literally <laughs> is. I, I went out to, October, to Australia in January and it was all, oh, will Brexit happen? Won't it happen? I thought, oh, right, I'll fly out on the 13th of January. I'm back here on St. Patrick's Day on the 18th of March. Brexit will be sorted by then, one way or another. We'll probably have a deal and then we'll have a vote on it because that would... And I come back and I'm like... I'm away for nine weeks and you make a right fucking mess of this now. It's just... And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And I'm not a Theresa May fan, but I really feel that Gove, Boris... Like, Gove and Boris done the dirty in Cameron because Gove was always Eurosceptic, but Boris flitted. We all forget this. Boris was, I might come out for Remain. I might come out for Exit. Oh, 
Just completely self-serving interest, isn't it? Hun, all of them, yeah. every single one of them in, in that cabinet, in Cameron's cabinet, and it's just... And I actually think, and I'm not a fan of David Cameron, but I actually think Cameron was probably getting into the swing of being a good Prime Minister. And <clears throat> by calling that and putting that in the referendum and thinking, oh, the Lib Dems will veto it because it's going to be a minority... And then getting the majority. And Nigel Farage pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed to get that referendum. And just look at the state that we're in. And you're like, what? What is going on? And we probably actually lost, not a Prime Minister that I would have liked, but a, a good Prime Minister in David Cameron. Um, and and I, think, I genuinely think he'll, he does love the UK. He's that Shire Tory, isn't he? I love this country, <laughs> this, this country and the, the war. And you're just, oh, <laughs> fuck up, David. But he still lives in kind of 1940s Britain because his wealth protects him. And I just look at it now and I'm like, Boris, man. But then I go, oh, Jeremy Hunt will be worse. Well, he'll be worse than Boris. And then there's that wee bit of my Scottish brain going, I'll be some laugh with Boris, but like, <laughs> I'll be some laugh. Like it's had Maybe disaster. then the political material will start finding its way. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. And we don't, we don't have that on TV anymore. You know, we don't have a spitting image. No. You know, or a yeah. Ben Elton shooting into a camera because he writes soft rock operas. But I know, right? What, what a weird career path. What. <laughs> And From the young ones to Bohemian Rhapsody. Or and then Baldrick <laughs> comes out and he's like, oh, yes, I'm a... T-. Shut up, Baldrick! Do you know what I mean? They should just have buried you in that trench. <laughs> see what you could have found. But it is, it is that thing where... And John Cleese, there's another one. You're like, yeah. oh, oh, you're heroes. Just out of touch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just think we've just blindly into it. It's horrible, it's terrible. And that, But there is also... The very selfish bit of me that thinks if this happens and Brexit goes through, Scotland can then request another referendum, and I don't care who's in power, if the people want a referendum, you're going to give them it. And I think that will be Scotland's answer to getting out, because then we can still remain in the EU. (coughs) Might not be part of the Union, but ultimately, and I worked this out, in my twenty, in my thirty-nine years, I think uh, worked it out that twenty-six of those years, my life has been governed by a party that my country didn't vote for. Yeah, which like, is insanity, really, isn't it? It's nuts. It's proper bonkers, and I don't think centralised government works anymore. Like from Westminster, I think it should probably be an independent Scotland. I would always say an independent island, a uh, northern assembly, a southern assembly, and then London as its own entity. And what about Wales, Susie? Oh, just give them an assembly. In there. <laughs> we'll take Wales. We'll take, them, yeah. we'll take Wales. Come to Scotland. <laughs> we'll, we'll take you. I've always found there is so much more in common with Welsh, Scottish, and Irish people than English. Like, and I identify as Welsh because my mum's Welsh, so I'm half Welsh and. I've always just found that the the Welsh, the Irish, and the Scottish. Obviously, the Irish and the Scottish kind of dislike English people as a broad rule a lot of the time. But it's about history. There's a bit. There it's is. A, there's, there's, there's reason to. But I just find 
I don't know. I feel, I feel happier and more at home in any one of those three countries than it, my own. It's probably your Celtic gene. Yeah. I was on, do you know the comedian Ian Stone? I don't think so. Ian, oh, he's like a stalwart. I was on Ian at the comedy store and he does a radio show. Right. Love sport. And he does, he's like a breakfast host. And he got me on to talk about the Scotland-England ladies football match. And anyway, so we talked about it. He went, what do you make... Like, what do you make of England singing God Save the Queen? I don't know if we can sing that to another home nation. And I was like, well, here's the thing. You look at Scotland, we have our national anthem. You look at Ireland, which has two national anthems. You look at Wales, you you listen to the, the land of our fathers being belted out at Cardiff Arms Party or Millennium Stadium, checking my, my old age there. <laughs> but it, And it's sang with passion. And it's a song, any national anthem, culture, heritage, history, it's what you identify with. You sing a song about a monarch. So where is your identity? Where is your heritage? Now, and I've kind of worked this out, I think, in my own head that because obviously it was James VI, who was James I of England and James VI of Scotland, we don't, we kind of see that's where the Scottish monarch ended. But you can trace your monarch, like, all the way, all the way back, right? An English monarch, all the way, all the way to day dot. And I think that's where that sense of identity is. But I don't think it's appropriate in today's modern world that if you're in a pub, as an Englishman, and England won the World Cup final, is that the song that you're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with and put your arm around someone and belt it out in that pub? Is that the song that defines you? And that's not me being anti-monarchist. That is just me saying, where's your history? Where's your... Because you have a great history. You have a shameful history as well. And you have to look at that. And it has to be brought in. And I don't think your national psyche allows it. And because it's a monarch, that's where that whole, oh, it's the English and their arrogance. Because there is an awful lot of arrogance. Out with this London bubble and out with the North, there is that, but I am English. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it is that thing. And it's kind of like, history's always written by the victors. And, and your history is very skewed. Uh, I was talking to my partner about this and I said, see, in UK schools, if we taught the suffragette movement, LGBT social history, Windrush generation. And not just World War One and Two. Yeah, yeah, and which also, <laughs> you want to be giving Russia a bit of credit for that because yeah, if yeah, Stalin yeah. had went to the other side, it was a very different story. Russian, with its sheer manpower, weather conditions, and his lack yeah, of planning. Yeah, it was that Russian winter, wasn't it, which just destroyed the Germans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not me taking anything away from yeah, yeah, the D-Day yeah. landings or yeah. anything. That's fact, but we never talk about that in this country because it doesn't suit the agenda. But if we if we spoke about those things, Windrush, LGBT, suffragette movements, and immigration, explain to kids why there's a Zarafsky in the class and there's an O'Malley in the class and explain the migration that's occurred in this country over 
decades, generations, centuries, you would pretty much, in my opinion, get rid of sexism, homophobia and racism in a generation. Because it's taught from such a young age that they're learnt to just accept it as normal. Yeah, so if we had to be really honest and frank with ourselves, our parents and our grandparents' generation were pretty anti-Semitic. Now, I've never heard my parents being anti-Semitic. I've never heard my grandparents being anti-Semitic. However, in the fullness of time, when you look back at history, you could see that there would have been underlings within British society towards Jewish culture. You and I go to school and we get taught the horrors of the Holocaust. I don't know anyone that's anti-Semitic because you're like six million people were slaughtered for just and made to wear a star and they were just the most heinous of crimes were carried out against them just because they were Jewish. That's wrong. And that... And I'm not saying it wiped it out. I'm not Jewish. I can't comment. But that, for me, you've seen a cultural shift within a generation, our generation. Yeah, massively. I mean, anti-Semitism, as you say, under 50, it doesn't really seem to be a thing anywhere. I'm sure... It is, but... It still exists, and wherever it may exist. But <laughs> it will be anti-Semitism, anti-Asian, anti-gays. It'll be anti-everything. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not specific. And I think if we started to to do that in schools and implement all that about women and gays and immigrants and Windrush and being honest about our history with regards to Windrush and what our cities like I come from a city that was built in the slave trade, I think I think we would abolish so much of our social problems. Well that's the solution right there, isn't it? Pretty much. I'll just go to Downing Street. Go see your mate now, the MP. I'll just go down. Just just go down to Downing Street. Right, Teresa. Change the curriculum, lads. I've sorted it. Teresa, out you get. Out you get. Listen, it's not Boris or Jeremy. It's me. Independence for Scotland. Four day week. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, everybody gets a Monday off. It's fine. Crack on. Apart from Boris, you don't get a Monday off. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Susie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've had a great time talking to you. I hope you enjoyed that, man. I hope, I you, hope you enjoyed listening. Thanks very and, much for um, having me. If people want to get tickets for your shows, where do they go? So, uh, if you go into the Ed Fringe website, if you're coming up to Edinburgh, uh, please come give me a cuddle because three and a half weeks for any Glaswegian in Edinburgh is a long, <laughs> long time. And they put sauce in their chips. It's disgusting. Um, no, uh, Ed Fringe website for or off the curb and i am also if you're in scotland if you're in glasgow in the west i am at the king's theater with a brand new show next march and that show is touring this october from newcastle to ullapool wick everywhere in between like literally everywhere in scotland uh it'll be autumn so it'll be absolutely stunning it'll be some great driving uh, I'm really looking forward to the new show. So, yeah, that'll be good. That's the best sales pitch I've ever had at the end of a podcast, even down to the weather. You got it. Got it nailed. Um, I can't wait to come and see you again. I had a great time watching you in Birmingham. Do it, man. Dustin, thanks for having me on, mate. My pleasure. Take it easy.
Cheers. Well, there we go. That's another episode done and dusted. Thank you very much to Susie McCabe for joining me for episode 119 of Life in the Stocks. And we still have two more comedians to uh, enjoy the company of and conversations with before the end of this week. Uh, They're all at Edinburgh this summer. As I said, um, if you're up there, please do go see them. Susie Ruffle, Rosie Jones and Susie McCabe with her brand new show, domestic disaster and if you want to check it out you can get tickets by going to assemblyfestival.com she's one of my favorite comics i saw in london uh birmingham sorry as i mentioned at the start of the show a few weeks back and she's just amazing so funny exactly my kind of humor as well i like the glaswegian humor a lot it sits well with me um and i can only imagine her full show is something quite spectacular to behold just great stories relatable stories and um she's got a great kind of sense of comic timing and great delivery the whole package Um, and a great guest as well. I'm sure you'll agree. So thank you very much to Susie for coming on the show. Thank you again to Amanda for setting that interview up. Thank you to the Gibson Guitar Studios for giving us the space to record. And thank you, as always, to you for tuning in. It means a lot. Uh, We're two and a half years into the podcast now, and every week there's still new people discovering the show, and I love it, and I'm really enjoying kind of mixing up the types of guests that we get on as well. It'll always be a music podcast first and foremost but i'm now in a position where i want to kind of widen that net a little bit and get on more actors and comedians and artists and the response to all of them is is great and i'm really you know enjoying and appreciating your feedback so if you do want to follow me and share any thoughts and get in touch facebook twitter and instagram you can find me on all of those at matt stocks dj and my patreon page if you feel like supporting the show which would be amazing if you could uh the address for that is patreon.com forward slash life in the stocks and on there you'll find all kinds of extra bonus content from archive interviews to podcasts, DJ mixes, etc., etc. There's five different tiers and uh, yeah, your support would be greatly appreciated. So please do check out the page and give where you can patreon.com forward slash life in the stock. So tomorrow episode 120 of the podcast is a, a damn fine one, even if I do say so myself. And it is with one of my favorite actors, favorite comedians. He has since become a friend as well since we did the podcast. We've hung out a little bit together. I actually took him to see Kiss a couple of weeks back, which was a great night out. And then he invited me to see his Edinburgh warm-up show just before he headed up there as well. You may have seen him in such shows as Uncle and Loaded, both of which are on Netflix. And uh, he's just a very unique dude. And he's doing two shows at Edinburgh this year. One's like a straightforward stand-up show. And then he's doing a musical as well. Um, And the man I'm talking about, in case you hadn't already guessed, is Mr. Nick Helm. So do tune in for that. And then I'll have another comedian joining me Friday as well to wrap up the week. And uh, yeah, as we go forward, if you want to hear more comedians on the show, send me some suggestions and I'll look into it and see what I can do. But um, that's about it for me for today. Thank you for tuning in and see you back here tomorrow, hopefully for episode 120 with Nick Helm. I'll see you in a bit. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 